0: If you will this morning, turn with me to our text, which will be found in the Gospel of Matthew, 27th chapter and the 46th verse. And it reads this way. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let us pray. My Lord and my God, I thank thee, O Lord, for thy faithfulness. I thank thee, O Lord, for thy long suffering. I thank thee, O Lord, for thy love. I pray, Lord, in this hour, that you would indeed enable us, Lord, to enter into these words that you would see or you would reveal to us the depth that they have for the child of God and what they meant the day that they were uttered and what they mean for us today. O Lord, may you be pleased to show us thy truth, that you would bring us to thy feet. Lord, that your name would be highly exalted above every man's name, above every thought and every action that we may have. That you may humbly bring us before thee this day that you may feed us lord i ask in these things in jesus name amen martin luther was in his house one day with his wife and he sat at his desk and for three hours he stared at this verse the text that i just read for you he stared at these words My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he got up from his table and he threw, he hit the table really hard with his hands and he got up and he said, how, Kevin, I, will I ever be able to understand God forsaking God? How can I understand, how can I wrap my mind around God forsaking God? What does that mean? I don't pretend this morning to be able to tell you what that means. I want to share with you some thoughts and some scriptures today about why Christ was forsaken. The necessity of God forsaking God. And as we move into this season, and I love this time of year. I love it because anything, anything whether it's a cross, whether it's the empty tomb, whether it's a song, anything that takes my mind to what my Lord has done for me, what He has done on the cross, what He had done coming up out of the grave, what He had done ascending into heaven, anything that can remotely take my mind off of this wicked world and bring it to those thoughts and have the Holy Spirit bring me there and bless that time of communion is a good, is a good thing. It's a good thing to my soul. It is well with my soul when that happens. This morning, the first thing I want to do, when I I look at these words, I have two things that jump out at me. First one, I ask myself, how wicked is sin? How bad truly sin is that the Son of God had to come down here, stand in my place, Be forsaken of his Father, who the scriptures tell us in Habakkuk one hundred thirteen, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. The Holy Father, the Lord God, is too pure and too holy to look upon sin. And we're starting to get into the mindset now of why Christ had to be forsaken. And why he was forsaken. The reality of it. That's what I want to share. That's what I want to talk to you about today. But we have to understand the sinfulness of sin. The Holy Spirit has to convince us that sin is really bad. That it's horrific. That it's horrible. It's a horrible above anything else we could honestly imagine. The Holy Spirit convicts the child of God and says sin is what put Christ on the cross. How wicked is sin to you? Turn with me over to Romans 7 real quick. I've got three verses to share with you in Romans 7. Just to give us an idea and answer this question, how wicked is sin? And I can't answer that for you. I don't know. I know what this religious world looks at sin flippantly. It always has, and and it's it's not a pang in the soul. It's not a, a, a hurtfulness in the soul. It's just, well, I sinned. Let me go confess it to some man behind a behind a panel or whatever it is. Let me say a few Hail Marys. Let me let me just let me look at the guy next to me and say I'm not as bad as he is. And that's the way sins looked at. But how does God? view sin that he can't even look upon. How does he... And why, if you think about Jesus standing in our place as a substitute, how bad did sin have to be? So in Romans 7, we start just with this verse, verse 13. Now listen to this. Was then that which is good made death unto me? And Paul's talking about the law. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is just. But you know what sin does? It makes us think badly of the law. That's what he says here. God forbid. The law is not a bad thing, it's the holiness. It reveals the holiness of God. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. The law reveals sin. Sin looks at the law and tells the believer. See, the law's bad. You don't don't have to obey God. None of these things are important to God. God's not as holy. Jesus came and he, He got rid of all that. No, He didn't. He fulfilled it. He made it honorable. He made it even more just and holy to us as He reveals it to us. But sin took occasion. Working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That's what God's purpose, in this, that's what Paul said the law is spiritual. It comes to us and says, thou art the man. You coveted. This is covetousness. It can't save us. It can't lead us to, it can't reveal to us Christ. But it does reveal to us the holiness of God. When the Holy Spirit, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, reveals to us the love, the holiness of our God. We'll look over now, just turn over, a couple, uh, well it is in my Bible page, to 21. We'll back up to 20. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Sin is that, that this is all we're trying to get to understand of why the child of God hates sin. Why it's evil. Why it's wicked. Nothing we do in and of ourselves that the world deems good is mar is not marred by sin. All of it's tainted with sin. That's what he says right here. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. If I find then a law that when I would do good, guess what? Evil is present with me. That's sin. And then, of course, we're all familiar with 24, as Paul is revealed, as this is revealed to Paul, the depth and the wickedness of sin, he cries out, O wretched man that I am. What is he seeing? Is he seeing himself in Christ? No, not at that moment. He's, that's what twenty-five is for. He's seeing the wickedness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convinces us how wicked sin is. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And as I said, that's what, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that there is one who did deliver us from the body of this death. And this body, when raised, it will have no sin. It will have, it will have no impurities. Just as our soul does not when it goes to be with him. So we have, it's, it's, I, I hate to use that terminology, it's the gift that keeps on giving, But it truly is. The Lord, as the Holy Spirit minds what Christ did on the cross, it goes deeper and deeper for the child of God and gives him a greater appreciation and love for the Lord. And that's what I was going to say to you. The second thing it says to me when I hear those words, what great love. What love of the Son of God to stand in my place and to be forsaken of the Father. To stand in the place of the church. John wrote this in John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. That's what, that, that's what these words tell us today. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He laid down his life and stood in the place of his friends. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. That's what we see. We see these in these last words of Christ. One of the Gospels tells us that He's already mumbled the words that is finished. But as you see in our passage today, that as Jesus said these words, um, immediately afterwards, he gave up the ghost. He dismissed his spirit. Now, as I said this morning, I want to look at why Christ was forsaken. And I have three words for you, or three thoughts. And the first one I've already hinted on, and that's substitution. He was forsaken because those whom he represented deserved to be forsaken. He was. He stood in our place. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. He was judged, and he was cast out, because those whom he represented deserved to be judged and cast out. He bore the wrath... And hell of God. Do you know what hell is? It's separation from God. Jesus Christ, as he hung on on that cross, and as he said these words, his soul was treated as a damned soul. He was made sin. Who knew no sin. Let that sink into you today. We can't underscore or under appreciate or un- I can't I can't even begin to tell you the depth of the love of the savior to stand in our place and it must be done. He is the just and justifier of all of his children. He bore the wrath of hell because we deserved it. Christ at this moment and, and forever, represented all believers at one time on the cross. I, I've said it many times from up here. I think, I think just in myself, when my thoughts go to how sinful I am, just in a day or an hour, or whatever, and I think about that, how that compounds every day, and I think about how much sin. That I have in my unbelief and my anger and my whatever it is. And I think of just mine. I think what a, what a magnitude of love for him to die for my sin. But it wasn't just mine, it was the sins of every elect child from the foundation of the world. Everyone, everyone that will ever be, he took their sins upon him. He was made sin. It was, it was quite a uh, transaction. He took the sins of all of His people and He imputed righteousness to all of His people. He gave righteousness. He gave a robe of righteousness so the Father could look upon us as clothed in the righteousness of His Son, as no blemish, as no, with no spot. That's what substitution is. Now, I do have some scriptures for you. We start with Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He wasn't wounded for his own. He didn't have any. He was wounded for our tra- transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. The only way we would ever be at peace with God, that's what He reconciled us to the Father. The problem wasn't on the side of God. He's holy. The problem's on our side. We're sinful, fallen man. And the only way we can be reconciled is by this perfect Savior laying down His life as the perfect sacrifice. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, with His sufferings, with His complete work on the cross, with His being forsaken of the Father, we are healed. We are healed. Of that great gulf that's fixed between God and sin. Between God and hell. We're healed because of him 2 Corinthians 5:21 For he hath made him to be sin for us I I could preach all day about those words right there and never get to the bottom of it He wa- he was ma- he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin He knew no sin, but He was made sin. We like to use those words almost every day in our vocabulary when the world reaches His hand out against us. We say, it's not fair. And we cry out to God and we say, it's not fair. Do you think this was fair? That the Son of God, whose love whose mercy, whose truth, whose justice would come and stand in the place of all of these sinners? He would take and be made sin who knew no sin? Think about that. May the Lord quicken that to you next time you want to use those words. It's not fair. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the transaction. What a transaction. Imputed sin to Christ, all of the sins, and imputed righteousness to the church. What a transaction. What a love. What What a mercy. What grace. And I know, when I hear the words, I feel the same thing. I don't deserve it. You just de- defined what grace is. It's unmerited favor. You're right, we don't deserve it. It magnifies the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, three thirteen says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's what Deuteronomy 21, 23 says. Christ took upon... He was made a curse for us. He hung on that tree for His church that you and I would not be cursed. That you and I would not be forsaken. I pray that the Holy Spirit in this hour brings that home to you, what substitution is. What is it? He stood in my place. You think of, and you know forsaking means abandoned or deserted. You think about this day and this this time when the Lord went to the cross. You think about what led up to that. Judas had forsaken him all of the disciples had forsaken him but you never heard him mumble a word about that but when he was forsaken of the father that's where you saw the travail of his soul that's where you see the the anguish that's when he cried oh let this cup pass from me this is what he this is the hard part but he went willingly and he went lovingly. And he didn't think it robbery to stay up in heaven and say, well, I'm just going to stay up here and let them find their way, like the Armenian tells us today. That I'm left to myself, and i got to f- figure it out and make a choice. Well, if you know anything about yourself, you know you won't make that choice. And praise be to God, he made that in eternity for us. And, and, he, and he assured it in the surety that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing I want to say to you this morning, the word, I guess, is reality. Because we have this sacrifice pictured forth. I want you to understand, it was real. He was a real man. He was a real man that died there in our place. Wasn't a bull, wasn't a sheep, wasn't a goat. He really did this. 1 Peter says this 1 Peter 2 24, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, that's what he did, so that we're dead to sin. The condemnation of sin, the penalty of sin, he satisfied. We don't have that. We won't have that. He took that. Should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. It was a real man, the son of man. And he suffered a real hell. It was a real separation from God. And that's the easiest definition to explain to anyone. What is hell? It's the separation from God. It's 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 the and and it. I'll go one further. That's what the torment is. It's always being separated from God, and knowing that in this life, in this life, you deserved it. He bore the real hell and a real separation. He bore it so that you and I would never be forsaken of the Father. Never. I have scripture to back that up too. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them, the enemy. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Psalm 37:25. David said, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And all my life, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. You won't. You won't. Hold on. Hold that thought just a moment. I'll come back to another thought here. But turn with me over to Psalm 22. You're going to see these words um, that our text has today. And you're going to see them written right here in verse 1. And for time's sake, I don't have all the time to read through this Psalm 22. I pray that the Lord leads it, leads you to it this week. It's great preparation for what the Lord did and what He went through. Look at verse 1, and and keep in mind these are the words of David, but it is a messianic psalm. It is one that, as you see, it starts, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season I'm not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Christ quoted these words on the cross. And as I said, they're they're messianic in nature, meaning that when David said these words, and I want you to understand that, David said these words. David's one who was never forsaken. But sometime when he penned these words in his life, he believed he was. We see that throughout the scriptures. We see that with the people of God. When they get in despair, they cry out that they've been forsaken. Job did the same thing. God, why why have you forsaken me? But the Scriptures say nothing about God forsaking us. Nothing. It says the opposite. That He'll never forsake us. So that's a lie. It's a lie from the wicked one. It's a lie to, 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 to demean what the Lord Jesus Christ did in His finished work. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. It's something Paul was taught too. He was not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. In Hebrews 13:5, these words are written. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I love that passage there because it tells me something. He tells us that in the covetousness and how easily we get caught up in this world, that our contentment is in Christ and Christ alone. Our contentment is in the fact that he'll never leave us and that he'll never forsake us. That's the importance of our text today. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We have that answered this morning. We have it answered in the love of Christ for his people. We have it answered in this real sacrifice. We have this in, in this real forsaking. Sometimes when I'm up here, I, I tremble at some of the things that the Lord's revealing in His Word. And I, um, I truly believe this is one of them. To enter into this kind of understanding of Him standing in my place for as my substitute and the reality of it. And then my, my third point, the satisfaction of it. That he had to satisfy. I mean, that's what we're told in Isaiah fifty-three eleven. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. The father saw the travail of the soul of his son. But guess what? The son saw the travail of his soul. And they, being God, were satisfied. He truly put away sin. By the sacrifice of himself. That's what Hebrews 9 tells us. Hebrews 9, 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the age of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put those sins away. David said it this way in Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. Think about as far as the east is from the west. Those never meet each other. And that's what he's trying to say. That's how far our sins have been taken away. Out of the sight of the Father. They've been paid for. Justice has been served. John tells us in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood satisfied the Father. The blood satisfies our soul. It satisfies our conscience. It satisfies our mind. When we see when we're reveal when it's revealed to us what Christ has done for us. And by faith we understand it. Paul asked some questions in Romans eight. I think we're going to go there. Let's go over to Romans eight real quick. Paul asked some questions, and in light of our text this morning, that's the biggest. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, Christ was forsaken. And we have these questions asked in, in Romans 8. We have it starting in verse 32. He says these words, he that spared not his own son. And that's what we hear in those words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, the entire church, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now listen to these three things in a row that he says. As Christ stood in our place, this is what we get. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? As Christ was forsaken, you and I, as i said many times, will never be forsaken. As Christ satisfied the justice of the Father and satisfied everything perfectly, you and I are justified in Christ Jesus. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. He took away our sin. He took away our punishment. He took away the penalty he took away the wrath. He took it all away. And he pronounced us as not guilty before a Holy Father because of his rope of righteousness that is upon us. Talk about wedding a bride. I can't get to the, the, the purity of what he has done for his church. May the Holy Spirit bring us To the depth of that. That's not all, though. Who is he that condemneth? There's no condemnation, though, now for you and I, if we be in Christ Jesus. No one can say to you, why are you this way? Or why do you do these things? Or laugh or scorn you to death as they did Christ when he was on the cross. Why? Because he was forsaken for us. You and I will never be forsaken of the Father. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It is amazing that Christ was raised from the dead because the Father was satisfied. And he being the first fruits, it was guaranteed for all of us resurrections guarantee spiritual and physical in Christ Jesus who shall separate us from the love of Christ keep in mind these questions are being asked Paul says I want I want to ask you these questions and we look at them in light of our text if Christ stood in our place and he, Absorbed the wrath and and satisfied the Father and he satisfied the justice of the Father and he satisfied the holiness of the law and he did everything perfectly then we take that mindset that we're armored with we're armored with that mindset what Christ has done and then we come over here to these questions if Christ really did that and the scriptures say as I've read many of them to you today that he did this for his children then who can separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So we have those questions that Paul asked us and we're asked those questions for one reason. And they're to magnify what Christ has done for his church. And as I said at the beginning, we're... We're moving into that season now. Next week is the Resurrection Day that we'll come together, Lord willing, and and worship together with that on our thoughts and our minds. And, and, and as we go into this week, this would be the week back then where, where Christ, all of this happened to him. This would be the day that he entered into Jerusalem and all of those people would be saying, Hosanna, he's king, he's king. And in a week's time, not even a week, would be saying crucify All of this plan. And, and then as, all, as he gathered the ones that he loved so much, the 11 of them there, and he had all of those words from John 14, 17, all the way. And he said all those things to them. And they all said the same thing. Oh, Lord, we'll never leave you. Peter, oh, I'll never forsake you. I could never do that, Lord. I'll follow you wherever you go. But he was forsaken. Forsaken by man. But that one, dear ones, did not achieve what we have before us this morning. It didn't didn't sit with him because he knew that was going to take place. But he knew this was going to take place. This was the travail of his soul. I I can't magnify those words enough to have the Father forsake him and what that does for you and I. David said it this way in Psalm 85, 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You know where that's done? At the cross. At the cross, mercy and justice have been satisfied. I, I think if you're an employer or an employee, or if you're a son or a daughter, or your parent, or whatever it is in your life, there's so many relationships that we build in this lifetime that we want to satisfy the one that we love. We want them to be satisfied with us, right? And yet, we know there's many times we let them down. Many times because our love is imperfect. But Christ's love was perfect, is perfect. And there's I want you to understand, there's, there's no other religion. There's no other way. There's no other way to appease and magnify the righteousness and holiness of the Father. There's no other way except this perfect way of salvation. It had to be this lamb without spot. It had to be a perfect God-man. It had to be. And when you hear that, and if you accept that by the power of God in your soul, then you can see how wicked sin is. You can see how wicked free willism is. You could see how how wicked it is to put man on even par with God. It's an abomination. The last thing I'll leave you with this morning is the words of Jeremiah and Lamentation 1.12. And that are these. They, They read this way. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. These are messianic words of Christ. Which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Let those words sink down. And I ask you the same words that Jeremiah said. Is it nothing to as you go from this place today and we rejoice this week as the Lord gives us joy as we see the empty tomb and as we as He takes us to the cross. Does the cross mean something to you? Does that sacrifice move your soul in love towards Him? Does your soul drip with love and admiration for what Christ has done for you? Has He brought you to those heights? as he revealed himself in that way. And I will never, I will never cry those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he did in my place. And he died in my place. All praise and honor and glory belong to him. Dear Heavenly Father, add thy power. Add thy mercy. Add thy clarity. Bring us, Lord, to the depths of understanding this very hour and what you did for your church. Lord, may we lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving. May our hearts just beat with joy and love for thee. May we be ravished with thee. For truly, Lord, thou art worthy. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.